Since the establishment of China-Africa relations at the Bandung Conference in 1955, the PRC has maintained generally positive relations with African governments. With the advent of China's Going Out Policy and the Belt and Road Initiative, or BRI, China's economic presence has been growing on the continent. In addition to encouraging trade flows and providing infrastructure development aid to Africa, China has, in recent years, indicated a commitment to promoting sustainable development goals in Africa, including gender equality. In September 2015, President Xi Jinping announced that China would give $10 million towards the UN's Declaration and Platform for Action, which was formed in Beijing in 1995 to promote gender equality. However, according to the World Economic Forum, in 2017, China ranked 77th out of 144 countries for female political representation and 86th for female economic participation. In addition to its own poor rating, Chinese relations with Africa are largely non-interference in governance or in policy formation. How can China, with its own difficulties in gender equality and its stance of non-interference, promote gender equality in Africa? Does China's positive relations with African countries give it an advantage that Western efforts do not have to address women's issues on the continent? Is China's commitment to gender equality in Africa a genuine concern or an empty promise? Hello, listeners, and welcome back to The Looking Glass. My name is Abuna Oduro, and I am an assistant podcast editor for the upcoming year. In this season of The Looking Glass, we will be primarily exploring themes centered around gender, complementing the release of the SICE Review's print edition titled, Who Runs the World? A Look at Gender and International Affairs. In this episode of The Looking Glass, we will discuss China's efforts in the advancement of gender equality in Africa. We will start by analyzing a history of China-Africa relations and China's recent commitments to promoting gender equality. Then, we will discuss if China has or will be successful, what challenges China might face in its efforts, and what this all means for the future of China-Africa relations. To help us explore this topic, we have on the podcast today Mariah Adele Karai, who is an assistant professor in global China studies at New York University, Shanghai, and author of Sovereignty in China, a Genealogy of a Concept since 1840. We are also joined today by Professor Zongyuan Zoe Liu, who is an assistant professor at the Bush School of Texas A&M University, and also lectures on topics of comparative politics and international political economy and finance at the Johns Hopkins University SICE. Thank you both so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Could you please introduce yourselves and tell us a little about your background? Hi, thank you again, Avina. And hello, everybody. I am Zongyuan Zaoyi Liu, and I am assistant professor at the Bush School, Texas A&M University. And I am also an alumni of SAIS Johns Hopkins. I received my PhD from SAIS in 2019. I'm currently working to make my dissertation, the China chapter, into a book that is currently under contract with Harvard University and it examines China's state-owned investment vehicles and that's why I get interested in China's investment in Africa in particular the natural resources sector. My first upcoming book, more broadly speaking, talks about emerging market economies, the de-dollarizations in major emerging market economies, especially the BRIC countries in which it includes China, India, Brazil, Russia, and South Africa as well. Thank you so much for having us today. 
So I am Maria Dele Carrai and I'm an assistant professor in global China studies at New York University, Shanghai. My work has focused on China and international law and society. My first book was on sovereignty in China, a genealogy of a concept that was published in 2019 with Cambridge University Press and addresses the question of sovereignty, how China appropriated and used this concept from the first open war in 1840 to the present. And lately I've been very interested in the Belt and Road Initiative and China expansion in Africa and Central and Eastern Europe. Thank you so much for joining us. So before we start, I would love to give our listeners a background on Afro-Sino relations. What social and historical situations led to the creation of China-Africa relations and how has this relationship evolved, if it has, since China joined the United Nations in 1971 and then the World Trade Organization in 2001? So China-Africa relations actually date back centuries. There were first Chinese immigrants going to Mauritius in the 14th, 15th century, and then Zheng He expedition that is very famous. So it dates back in time. Both were almost forced into the international system in the course of the 19th century, where they were inscribed within the sovereign borders. And then they started having relation as sovereign to sovereign, especially in the 20th century. And they have this uh, shared history of uh, colonialism, The official relation started when the PRC was funded in 1949. One key event that sealed the rhetoric about China-Africa relations was Bandung, where the five principles of peaceful coexistence that refer mostly to sovereignty was very much supported by this Bandung conference, the principle of non-interference, the right to self-determine as a country. In the early decades, since the founding of the PRC, there were all these mostly political ties uh, where the PRC tried to be recognized by African countries. With uh, China joining the United Nations in 1971, we started having a lot of African countries recognizing the PRC and abandoning the recognition of Taiwan. And then the relationship developed since China opening up, and especially in the 90s, as economic relations. So China expands uh, well before the Belt and Road Initiative, again, in the 19th and early 2000s, and start to feel the vacuum left by Western power, partly withdrawing from Africa, also in the infrastructure sense. And then in the year 2000 was established the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation that meets regularly and that set a bit the direction of uh, China-Africa relations. And I would say that in the past decades, there are very, very strong economic ties, but also political ties. And many wonders the effects of these economic ties in terms of political leverage that China increasingly has. After China joined the United Nations, it was really a political issue of recognition of the PRC and the One China policy. And after the World Trade Organization, I think, marked even more China economic engagement and China becoming one of the largest source of development finance uh, for Africa. The rhetoric continues to be this win-win, this bandung spirit of Afro-Asian solidarity and shared past. I think Professor Karai gave us a very good overview of China-Africa relationship. I wanted just to reiterate the importance of Bandung Conference as well as the relationship that China established with Africa in the 50s and the 60s. That was actually the very early time when China tries to build relationship when new China or the PRC was actually under very coercive international situations because Mao was endorsing this uh, leaning to one side uh, foreign policy. It was not until late 1963 and early 1964, Premier Zhou Enlai visited 
10 African countries, and together with him, there was a large delegation of senior Chinese officials. The purpose of the trip was to establish relationship and also to negotiate aid and trade deals. And it was out of this visit came China's eight principles of foreign aid that built on the five principles of peaceful coexistence. So these eight principles of foreign aid emerged after Joe Lai's visit have been the bedrock of Chinese foreign aid over the past 50 years and are often reiterated to contrast China's approach to Western countries. Thank you both so much for providing that important background of China-Africa relations. So given the context of current China-Africa relations, let's discuss China's new commitment to gender equality in Africa. In terms of political representation and economic participation of women, both China and African countries fare poorly. However, in September 2015, President Xi Jinping announced that China would give $10 million towards the UN's Declaration and Platform for Action. How would you interpret China's commitment to sustainable development goals, specifically gender equality, with respect to China's interests in Africa? That's a good question, and I think it's also a difficult question to answer because, as we all know, China has its own gender equality issues in the sense that despite Mao Zedong's emphasis on women lift half to the sky, right? China has indeed achieved a lot of progress in terms of enlarge women's role in economic development and women's participation in all rounds of social economic development activities. However, in many ways, a lot of social policies, especially with regard to you know one child policy and now you have three children policy. You know, a lot of these social policies may not necessarily be fully in favor of women's rights. In the context of China and Africa relationship, I would say President Xi's commitment is consistent with China's commitment to UN SDG goals just in general, in terms of sustainability, gender equality, carbon emission, you know, this wholesale support of SDG goals. Are there some empirical evidences to show China's participation or China's involvement in Africa actually promote gender equality, especially from the perspective of creating more employment opportunities for both genders. I remember reading this McKinsey report in 2017. They showed some interesting numbers, something like 89% of workers hired by Chinese companies operating in African countries are locals, and that African women prefer to work for Chinese firms because the Chinese firms offer better salaries and maybe better benefit and equal opportunities to grow professionally, just simply because they do not necessarily specify the gender preference in their job advertisement. <laughs> Given China's own gender issues, particularly if you look at to what extent women are involved at the Politburo level, there is zero women. It speaks to a broader issue of women's participation or the role of women in policymaking inside China. However, it doesn't mean that none of Chinese leaders notice the issue. And also there are in particular Chinese female leaders who are personally interested in this issue. And in the context of China-Africa relationship, talk is cheap. We really hope to see more Chinese SOEs or Chinese private business people would actually contribute to the development of gender equality in the context of China-Africa development, not just for China, but also for African countries in general. 
I think uh, Professor Liu already provided a, a great overview also with concrete examples of what China is doing more practically. I also think that the Chinese government is definitely committed to achieve greater gender equality, not only in China, but also abroad. And we can see this because it signed international conventions on women's rights. And also the rhetoric of Chinese leaders has been very much supportive of women's rights and gender equality. And also the example about Xi Jinping pledging 10 million towards UN declaration and platform for action is again another example of this commitment materially. And more recently, there was this 2020 UN high-level meeting about the progress toward gender equality under threat. And China again pledged to donate 5 million to the United Nations Entity for Gender Equality and Empowerment of Women over the next five years. And Xi Jinping said, we still must work harder to build a world in which women are free from discrimination. So this is the rhetoric that is good and the importance of gender equality is recognized. But the situation in practice, as Professor Liu was saying before, might be a bit different and is also hard to really measure. And there are still issues both within China and also China trying to go out and promote gender equality. And so far, I think that China has not actively promoted gender equality as an instrumental to economic success. Nevertheless, China started to address gender issues in its South-South cooperation, including with Africa. For instance, China has been supporting technical training and material assistance to women in Africa, but also in other developing regions in the world, and helped improve women working and living conditions. Gender equality has also started to be discussed in relation to corporate social responsibility. That is something that both state-owned enterprises, but also private companies can apply when they invest abroad. There is emphasis, importance is recognized of gender equality, but then I think in terms of exporting it to other countries, including Africa, there's still gaps. Considering both aid and private sector activities, has Chinese activity in Africa been effective for gender equality? How do they compare to the West or the United States' efforts on the continent? If we look at the West vis-a-vis -vis China, we can see that the U.S., for instance, has been committed to gender equality for much longer. And gender equality has been one of the top priorities in its aid, regardless of the administration. So this was particularly true for Biden, was true for Trump, was true for Obama and previous administration. And so USAID, the institution that provides aid, has for a long time committed to prevent and respond to gender-based violence, promote gender equity in climate climate change, promote women economic empowerment and empower adolescent girls. And one thing that is different, I will say, between China aid related to gender and USAID is the fact that the USAID has this more integrated vision of rights. So gender is part of this broader package of human rights that the US tries to export, while China separates this more. So it talks more about like gender, gender equality, and it's separated from other maybe political and civil rights that are not as supported. And another main difference is that China, one of its key foreign policies is the five principles of peaceful existence. So it will not uh, overimpose things uh, if the country doesn't want. So I don't think that it will necessarily put it in terms of conditionality. But again, China has promotion of gender quite on its mind and it will continue to promote it, but probably differently from the US, again, for this lack of an integrated vision of rights.
Professor Kai's point is absolutely right to the point in the sense that you know China's approach versus the West approach. One is to a certain extent fragmented and uncoordinated, whereas the Western approach tend to be more holistic and integrated. I wanted to just focus on China's interest in the region, more specifically the natural resource sector and in particular mining industry. Mining industry has been one of the largest sectors of investment by Chinese industry in Africa. However, there have not been any available sources or data that can show the impact to gender, the job creation for different genders by Chinese companies. So to Professor Kai's point, if China or Chinese companies are able to make more disclosure in terms of their contribution to the promotion of gender equality in the continent, that would be great because then we can have credible or authoritative sources to tell to what extent Chinese involvement in Africa have contributed to gender development in the region. If anything, you would think the largest involvement and the firms with the most capacities should be interested in talking about their social impact. That's an important aspect of companies' ESG commitment these days. But hopefully, you know, they will do better going forward. I would like to build off of Professor Karai's point that Chinese foreign policy has been framed on principles of mutual benefit, respect for sovereignty, and non-interference in government. So unlike the West, China does not stipulate policy reform or governmental changes as a condition for developmental aid. However, some scholars argue that aid without policy reform is not effective. Do you believe that China's involvement, mainly through aid and soft power in Africa, can promote gender equality on the continent, or is it an empty promise? I think that the way China will proceed is probably by example or including more concrete guidelines in corporate social responsibility, private companies, and also state-owned enterprises. It's not necessarily the case that if forces countries to change their policies, this is more successful. In the past, Western countries have just basically copy and paste their institutions or certain way of thinking into the developing world. Research and history show that the failures of the Washington consensus that imposed policy reforms as condition for the disbursements of aid and loans. I'm not sure that government changes made through a copy and paste of Western policies into African or developing countries is effective. And that said, I think that gender equality is key to a virtuous development of society. And it benefits societies on so many respects, including economic ones. And evidence shows that there is a positive correlation between gender parity and GDP. More recent estimates have shown that achieving gender equality could lead to a 2.5 trillion US dollar GDP increase just for China and for the world, a GDP growth of 12 trillion by 2025. And so that's very positive. And I think it's also in the interest of China to promote that abroad if the interest of China is also the economic development of Africa. And again, I think China recognizes that it should do more and is trying to do more as we already discussed. I can speak about corporate social responsibility because I did studies on that in East Africa, in Kenya and Ethiopia for China standard and guidelines on corporate social responsibility, where gender equality is also increasingly discussed. It's definitely in the mind of the Chinese and I don't think it's an empty promise. Again, I think there is this uh, sovereignty first, so it has to come from the host countries as well. So China doesn't oppose that if host countries want more promotion of gender equality. It's really a partnership from both China and host country rather than an imposition top down.
I agree with Professor Karai that I wouldn't think it's empty promise. I think there is more than an ounce of sincerity in there because getting more women involved in economic development, in social welfare, making sure that women are happily involved both as mothers, as workers, is good for society, is good for economics. That's just very pragmatic. China's approach in global affairs has always been very pragmatic. Apart from this pragmatic aspect of Chinese foreign policy or China's involvement in Africa, since the PRC's establishment, there has already been an emphasis on women and girls. Leaders already discussed and emphasized the importance of equality between the two sexes and recognized the protection of rights for girls and women. China also implemented the Beijing Declaration and the Platform for Action after it was adopted at UN in Beijing's support of the Millennium Development Goal and the. The 2015 Sustainable Development Goals, the gender equality issue are incorporated in China's commitment to the achievement of these goals. More specifically, in the context of China and Africa cooperation, there was the 2018 Beijing Declaration. The Chinese government and 53 African countries signed this Beijing Declaration, and in the declaration, all the parties emphasized the promotion of gender equality. So I would think there is more than an ounce of sincerity in it. That being said, to what extent progress has been satisfying, that is a subject of debate. There are a lot of things that can be done and can be done better. What does China gain by promoting gender equality in Africa? Is this a main objective, a PR move, or out of the kindness of their hearts? I would think the promotion of gender equality in Africa would be one stone killing several birds kind of initiative. Nobody is going to say that it's a bad thing from economic development perspective. Whether China's involvement in Africa is China's main objective, I would say probably it's a means to an end rather than an end in itself. The primary interest of China in Africa is to advance the realization of China's economic development goals and China's strategic interests. What African countries Can offer to China on the one hand is natural resources, and then on the other hand is 53 countries' support in the UN. It was the African countries' support that brought China back to the United Nations when China was under international isolation. So that is a huge political force that China cannot afford to ignore. I would say the promotion of gender equality is definitely a good PR move. China is committed to do that. It's coded in a lot of this agreement and statement, but I would also say it's probably not the ultimate objective of China's investment in Africa. Professor Liu summarized a great overview, and I agree with what she said. Promotion of gender equality for China in Africa is the means to an end. And the ends of China are complex because China is not a monolith. Definitely, there is access to resources, the promotion of its soft power that now includes China becoming a global responsible leader. And so, promoting gender equality, strengthening gender equality, becomes almost a prerequisite for China to become a responsible global leader that can help improving the lives of millions of women and girls, not only in China but globally. Another reason is the fact that China is constantly scrutinized and watched by other countries. So China has to be good. China has to show that it's promoting good governance or gender equality. So finally, the conversation surrounding China-Africa relations is often framed around the economic interests of both parties. Is gender equality really important in this conversation? And if so, what insights does it provide to similar Chinese investments across the globe? Or for the future of China-Africa relations, this is the important question, and I would like to tell our listeners 
to read this article if you haven't read it yet. It's an article by Peter Hessler, one of my favorite China writers. He had the article on The New Yorker a couple of years ago. It's a story about Chinese lingerie vendors in Egypt. The story itself talks about a Chinese vendor, not major SOEs, not politicians, just a small Chinese business person. If they can unlock the consumption power of African women, that's a great business. I tell this story not because, you know, my background is economics and finance, but I wanted to show that you never see countries and countries shake hands with each other. Instead, you see businessmen or businesswomen shake hands with each other, and you see people and people shake hands with each other. So if China and Africa's relationship in the long run wants to be sustainable, inevitably you cannot ignore half of the population. You have to empower the women. Therefore, I think gender equality in this context is important. In a harmonious world, you simply cannot leave women outside of the conversation. It took a long time even for women in democracies to gain their equal rights. We are still fighting for gender equality in a variety of other expressions today. So I think just to summarize, is gender equality important in China's Africa relations? I would say yes. Is President Xi's commitment to the promotion of gender equality an empty slogan or an empty gesture? I would say probably not, because it's consistent with historical commitment. However, from corporate perspective, from individual perspective, or from government policies perspective, on the one hand, China has its own issue that needs to be dealt with. Then on the other side, simply because of the nature of China's investment and China's involvement in Africa, the nature of the mining sector, there are a lot of challenges to make a concrete progress in terms of the promotion of gender equality. I think that China, besides exporting goods and services and providing aid and developing finance to Africa, should really try to export its experience in achieving economic prosperity through the empowerment of women. Despite the many issues that still persist in Chinese society, there are genuine efforts that have been made by Xi Jinping and previous leaders to balance this gender gap. China can be particularly successful in spreading its message without imposing it, without imposing new conditionalities or changing government like the Western have done. To hear this message from a successful developing country like China, I think that will make the message about gender equality even more powerful for developing countries in Africa. Gender gap is a global challenge. And I share with Professor Liu the belief that China is committed to improve the condition of women and girls. Happy wife, happy life. To promote happy women abroad will make its international relations happier. Happy wife, happy life. Well, I believe that is the perfect note on which we can end our discussion today. Thank you again, Professor Leo from Johns Hopkins Slice and Professor Karai from New York University, Shanghai, for your key insights. It was a pleasure to have you today. And as always, thank you to our listeners for joining us today. You are listening to The Looking Glass, the audio complement for the print journal of the SICE Review of Johns Hopkins University. You can access our print journal, Who Runs the World? A Look at Gender and International Affairs on Project News. Thank you, as always, to the Foreign Policy Institute and the editorial board. This episode was produced by me, Abana Oduro, and music was produced by Simon Hudis. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Looking Glass.